0: All right, welcome back. And our first question Can you explain the two groups of people God God explains through metaphor? Rams, uh, lambs, and goats. Sheep and uh, uh, sheep and goats, uh, wheat and tares, old not wine, new wine, so forth and so on. It's simply the saved and the lost, those who've opened their heart to Jesus and been reborn and had new hearts and right spirits and live out His methods, and those who harden their hearts and live out the methods of this world. That's really ultimately at the end. Um, and that's a, and it's a great to bring up in the aftermath of our class because Jesus uses that that uh, you know the the, when the judge will separate them, the, the the sheep on one side and the goats on the other side, and and what makes the difference between a sheep and a goat? Is it a judicial finding? A jury has to figure that out, or is it in, inherent in their being? A wheat versus a weed, is it, is it a judicial finding, or is it inherent in the actual matrix of the substance? Okay, And that's really ultimately at the end, those who have been reborn to have God's law written on the heart and mind, which is the new covenant, or those who have been solidified in rebelliousness and self-centeredness. And so that's a great question. For a long time, I've been unsuccessful in obtaining documented information on the underhanded ways uh, the factions in Battle Creek managed to get rid of uh, Mrs. White's influence by sending her to Australia. I just kept hearing opinions on it. Finally, after reading George Knight's book, George Knight's book. Angry Saints, I was able to find this documentation. letters from Olson and Ellen White to different individuals verified this for me. It appears that one of the backdrop issues was one of authority. seems to be one of those issues to support their view, one of the, uh, one of the sides used administrative clout, expert opinion, creedal legislation, etc., to basically authoritatively move her on. And now the question. Why is common reason one of the few ministries able to avoid these pitfalls since this is such an important issue? And you can answer that from two sides, depending on how you hear the question. Why do we avoid being treated like she was treated by the organization? Well, we don't. <laughs> we have been. Uh, exactly the same thing. Uh, I've been canceled multiple times for no justifiable reason other than authority of office. Um, lots of the same types of methods have been used against us. But maybe the question is about why don't we operate this way? Why is our organization not using these methods on others? Well, because we actually don't value these methods, I think, one. I also think because we have maintained a certain smallness to our organization. Uh, Maybe you'll be surprised to hear, but along the way, over the years since we've become a not-for-profit, there have been uh, requests from around the circle for us to start our own church. For us to brand our own denomination, for us to uh, have um, an expanding organizational structure with with you know official um, uh, other parties and other you know like like other denomination or common reason churches established all over the place. The bigger an organization gets in this world of sin, the more likely you're going to end up with rules governing everything. So our approach, we, we've never, we have never intended, and we have no desire to start a church or a denomination. Our ministry has been designed to be a resource of materials and truths and uh, to help people learn to think for themselves, develop their own God-given reasoning capacities, mature in their own life, and then let God use them with with Whatever organization they're in, if they're at the Methodist church, then let them apply God's principles. If they're at the Catholic church, if they're at an Adventist church, it doesn't matter to us as long as God's principles are being taken forward in any organization. So we don't want to call the people that God is working through out of other systems and places. We want to empower them to be successful in wherever God has put them into ministry. So maybe that's a reason why we, we, because we're not trying to control everything. It says Matthew thirteen forty two. Jesus said, and they shall be cast into fire, a furnace of fire and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth, King James Version. This indicates that those cast in the fire are still alive, not already dead, as, as I've stated before. Can you explain this, please? So, this good question, I want you to go to our website, type in the word hell up in the little search engine, and there's an entire blog on the truth about hell. And I go into great detail from scripture, showing text after text and building the case for the difference. But the, the, the difference here, just like what we talked about in class, there are two deaths in the Bible, the first death, sleep death, and the second death, eternal death. There are two fires in the Bible, and, and when people merge the sleep death and the second death, they get all types of erroneous conclusions. And when they merge the two types of fires, there's the fire that is described as uh, God's glory to, to um, it said, Hebrews 12, 20, our God is a consuming fire. Or in Daniel uh, chapter seven, the ancient of days takes his throne. Rivers of fire come out from before him and 10,000 times 10,000 stand in this fire. So this is this fire of God's life giving glory that the righteous stand in. That's one type of fire. And that's the fire that Jesus is speaking of here, the fire of his life-giving glory. And why does it cause torment? That's, you can read about that in our blog. But there's another fire that Peter talks about, and that's the fire that comes after they're dead. This fire actually doesn't harm directly. This fire is the fire that, that um, purifies from sin and if you uh, read in some of the quotes uh, in the book, Great Controversy you and know, the places, when uh, at the end of the thousand years, when they march on the city, uh, and this was in our lesson notes for today too, so you can find this quote from our lesson notes today. We just didn't get to it because we ran out of time. But Jesus is raised up on a, on a golden throne and fire comes out from Jesus into the city, which is the New Jerusalem. And who's in the New Jerusalem. All the saved, And then the fire goes out through the gates of the city onto the earth, and the wicked are consumed. There's a reason, I think, that it happens in this way, because it is a demonstration that the fire itself is not harmful. The saints live in it. What's harmful is unremedied sin. And those people start to have torment, and I explain it in the blog. And then after they die... Like Nadab and Abihu died when the fire of the Lord came out and consumed them. They died before the Lord, but their bodies were still intact and their tunics were not burned. Okay? It's not a fire of combustion. After they're dead, then the fires of combustion come that Peter talks about, where the elements melt in the fervent heat, and the earth is made new. And so I would encourage you to read, read our blog to differentiate these two types of fire. You said that healthy people can't have healthy relationships with unhealthy people. Aren't we all sinners and unhealthy in some way? Please elaborate. So it's a difference between sinfulness, and you're exactly right, we're all sinners. But what is it that makes the difference between healthy and unhealthy? It's about maturity. It's not about sinlessness. A mature person, a Christian who's mature, or a person who has developed some level of human maturity, has the ability to be introspective, look in the mirror, has the ability to hear feedback and criticism. And when they've actually come up short, made a mistake, been wrong, they own it. That's on me. My bad. They asked for forgiveness. Will you forgive me? And through God's grace, humbly in prayer, seek to live a better life and overcome whatever the, shortness, the shortcomings in their life were. Yeah. That's a mature. But you can have a relationship with a healthy relationship with somebody like that. Yeah. But the immature are those who, it's not their fault. It's the other person's fault. If you wouldn't have actually uh, put that put that, uh, that that dish on the on the on the uh, counter there where you put it, I wouldn't have knocked it off. <laughs> it's your fault for putting it there. It's not mine for knocking it off. Okay, it's always somebody else's fault. Uh, whenever they're criticized, you're trying to make me look bad. And they don't learn, they blame, they externalize, they project, they don't learn, and they repeat the same dysfunctional behavior over and over again. And they try to control. They don't practice the principles of God in their life. They're not seeking to mature. And so that's what I mean by unhealthy. And, and you can have relationships with unhealthy people. You can. You just can't have healthy relationships with unhealthy people. Okay? 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 <laughs> <laughs> Hi, right, Dr. James, I've discovered another reason for the death and resurrection of Jesus that I haven't heard before and wanted to get your thoughts. I, uh, I'll start with a metaphor. If I was going to die soon from diabetes uh, as a result of eating a healthy food tasting good, uh, there's a remedy available, but I, I would have to suffer through various types of withdrawals and, and so forth to get to a healthy place. I might be a little hesitant in accepting the possible cure and, uh, would, would, uh, and would include the following question. How long does the remedy work? Where is the science evidence to prove that it works? The death resurrection of Jesus answers these questions that I don't think could be answered without it. It shows that love cannot be killed, defeated, by, uh, which means God's ways are eternal. If Jesus did not uh, resurrect, would we have any proof that his methods and principles provide life everlasting as opposed to Satan's that lead to eternal death? Uh, if so, at least for me, this, this is information that makes uh, it much easier to choose the remedy. I I think that's a great metaphor. I think it's a great piece. I think that Jesus did prove these things. That was part of it all along. Prove God's trustworthiness. Prove that there was, why why did he do this as a human? Prove that there's no manufacturer's defect in Adam. Adam didn't sin because because God didn't make him well. And Jesus, taking uh, humanity weakened by sin, still was able to live out the righteous and sinless life, showing that there wasn't some weakness in humanity that caused this. Showing that, in fact, the methods of love do uh, overcome the uh, principles of fear and selfishness and do result in life everlasting. So I think all these elements are true and even more. But yes, I wouldn't have any problem with that. Can you speak of the idea that few will be saved? Uh, greater numbers, Ellen White talks about. Greater numbers are called than those that uh, that, that will be saved, uh, and that many are called and few are chosen. The Bible says this. This can be discouraging, if not terrifying. <laughs> I, I don't know why it's discouraging. Is everyone is called? and few are chosen, where do you put the, the power of the chooser? If you read that as few are chosen, as God chooses few, because he is an imperial magistrate that makes up rules and makes the choices for people, then it's scary. If you recognize that God made the choice to give his son for God to love the world. He gave his only begotten son. And through Jesus, God was in the son reconciling the world to himself, that God made the choice to sacrifice his son for the purpose of overcoming sin and providing the opening, the door to salvation for all. Then all are called, but few are chosen, meaning few then choose to respond. Our choice So if you're frightened, I would say, "Well, why are you hesitant to choose? Mm. Yeah. Why are you hesitant to choose life? Why are you hesitant to choose trust? Why are you hesitant to choose jesus? It's your choice. Yeah. Yeah. even if no other human being on earth, if you're Noah and every other human being is hardened, Noah didn't. Was it scary for Noah? yeah. As long as you're part of the few. As long as you're part of the view and that's your choice. But if you have the view that God's the one making the choice, then I could see where that could be scary. I might be I might not be chosen. Yeah, but isn't it scary that your loved ones won't choose? So he says isn't it scary if your loved ones won't choose? I guess it depends on what law model you understand. It's just discouraging for like discouraging is different than scary. Yeah, I mean I'm not afraid that God won't let them in, but that they'll choose he to said. not so the way I approach that with my loved ones, my dad, many, many, many of you know, he, he never really went to church. He was never really involved. Uh, mother took us to church all the time, and my dad smoked much of his life. Um, I think it, before his, his demise that he, he had some softening of his heart, but I don't know what my dad's eternal destiny is, but I know this much. My dad will be the place that makes him the happiest. He is. He will be where it makes him the happiest. And if coming to heaven would make him be tormented because that's not the kind of person he chose to become, then he will be where he will be the happiest. And I can live with that. And I wouldn't want it any other way because to make it any other way would mean I would take the the freedom from my dad and I would make decisions for him and he'd become my puppet or God's puppet to control. So I have to respect that but that doesn't mean I wouldn't be disappointed mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he did come back to God before he died my mama just said he came back to God before he died mm-hmm. <clears throat> amen. Amen. amen thank you mama In Desire of Ages 834, Ellen White says, describes that when Christ arrives back in heaven, he enters into the Father's presence and declares to the Father that he has completed the work of redemption and says, if thy justice is satisfied, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am. The voice of God is heard proclaiming that justice is satisfied. This seems to have a very strong penal legal connotation. How can I explain this from the design law of view uh, to... And let's see, I may have, we have lost the rest of that, so how can I explain this from a Zylon view? Okay. Um, well, first question, when you read quotes like this, what law lends? What, what is justice through human law? Accountability, punishment, proper payments, appeasement, that's human law stuff. What's justice through design law? If your child, for instance, you, you have a, in your garage, you have certain pesticides and you have instructed your children, do not play with the pesticides. And in fact, you might love them so much you give a stern warning. In the day you drink the pesticides, you will surely die. <laughs> Dying, you will die. Dying, you will die, yes. And then you hear a crash. In the garage, you run out and you see one of your children foaming at the mouth, seizing with an empty bottle of pesticide next to them. What does love require you to do? do you to remedy. Do everything, to save them, remedy. What does justice require you to do? Pull out a belt and beat them for their disobedience? <laughs> No, if you understand design law, you understand they're dying because they're out of harmony with the laws of health. And the just and righteous act to take is to heal them, if you can. Yes. Uh, The Lord deals with us um, fairly. Can, Can I finish his question first? Okay. All right. So let's finish his question. The justice is satisfied. What is the justice of God? Sending Jesus to destroy sin. This is what he said. By his death, he might destroy him. holds the power of death that is the devil. By his death, he might destroy death and bring life and immortality to life. By his death, he might destroy um, the devil's work in 1 John and the devil's work to efface the image of God in man, and put Satan's image where God should be. So Jesus came and carried out the justice or rightness of God by destroying the infection of sin and restoring God's law back in humanity. And so he comes, if your justice is satisfied, if your righteousness is satisfied, if the healing plan has been met, then I would that you will then send your spirit. Remember he said, it's speeding if I go, because if I don't go, the spirit won't come. But if I go, I'll ask from the Father, to send the spirit. The spirit is not going to speak on his own. He's going to speak only what he hears. He's going to take what's mine and make it known to you. What's what's mine? What's, what's, What's Jesus that we need? His character. So, Father, I pray if this is sufficient if this has achieved our joint goal, if this has accomplished what you need it to accomplish, then I pray that those that I, will, I love will be with me, send the spirit, fix the brokenness in them, write your law, and then bring them home. That's what's going on here. This is a joint plan. In, in, and it says, uh, the voice of God is heard, proclaiming that justice is satisfied. If you have a child, and this is, goes back to um, Isaiah chapter 53, when it talks about uh, Jesus um, dying as a sacrifice and, and for, for the satisfaction set before him, and they come up with a satisfaction theory. But if you have a child dying of leukemia, what is the only, only thing that will satisfy you? Will you be satisfied with anything other than complete restoration to health? So Jesus died... For God's satisfaction to save his children to get rid of the disease and that's why he was satisfied because what Jesus accomplished accomplishes the mission of eradicating sin destroying death uh, establishing eternal life in humanity and saving his children and so that that's how I understand that now your question okay my question is uh, you'd think that love and kindness and fairness would win hearts. But some of the prisoners who are in prison, you know, they're let out quickly, and they go and do the same thing again. And so we do have you know, sociopaths or maybe psychopaths, I don't know, that God has to deal with. I mean, sometimes he may have to do what Pavlov did with animals, Punishment or reward? And so I feel like... So what's your question? My question is, does that enter into God's deal, dealing, punishment or reward? Not in eternity, but in the short term, this is what we talked about in class today. God using therapeutic interventions to hold at bay. And this is the righteous use of restraining power in an evil world. God uses power to restrain the evil forces from destroying the righteous. Constantly. God, as soon as Adam he sinned, right in Eden, I will put enmity between you and the woman. God began to intervene in the hearts of human beings in supernatural ways to put a desire for something better than sin. Had he not intervened in the hearts and minds of humanity, sinful Adam and Eve would have had a perfect alliance with Satan in rebellion and no human being would have been saved. So there's his first intercession or intervention was in the heart to put a resistance to the call of fear and selfishness and a desire for love and trust so that we would have still some modicum of free will to choose the righteous. Okay? Then he sends his angels to hold back the principalities and forces of darkness around us. You see that in Elisha with the angel armies holding back the Assyrians and so forth. Then he sent Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. The natural trajectory of what sin does to the human being is it results in eternal death. And after Adam sinned, we're all born of Adam and Eve. We all are born with that, that uh, condition that without intervention results in eternal death. And so Jesus stepped into the human family, partaking of one branch of the human family, and and with his life he opened a new path. And through our trust relation with Jesus, we have a different outcome. That's an intervention or an intercession. And so Jesus has been doing this. And then to allow all this to happen, Satan has been using the forces of evil on his side to try to destroy the righteous who would bring this. And God has been using restraining power at various places, but it doesn't win hearts. And it says in Hebrew, excuse me, Romans 2, 4, it's the kindness of God that win, leads us to repentance, the kindness of God. But what sin naturally does to the human heart, it sears the conscience, hardens the heart, warps the character, and if you persist in it long enough, you actually burn out the faculties that are sensitive to truth and love. And that then the sociopaths you mentioned, there are individuals that no amount of truth and no amount of love will have any redeeming impact on. And therefore, sometimes in this world, God has made the decision where he has sometimes put people to sleep. He has directed for human governments to use the power of the state to put in time out. Okay, we call it prison, but they've taken out of society. They're taken out of society by force and locked away because they are so corrupt. Now, some of those people have made mistakes and the laws are, are arbitrarily applied and sometimes innocent people get taken away. Sometimes people who have not completely hardened their heart get imprisoned. And, and this is where the laws on recidivism come in. And the more times you do it, the more likely you are to keep repeat, repeat offenders. And so the idea is that if you've shown that you can't be safe in society, you shouldn't be in society. And there's a place for that, but it doesn't redeem anybody. It just restrains the forces of evil from obstructing the, the, uh, the advancement of righteousness. It's not as punishment. It's not as punishment. No, no. Yeah. So punishment comes from the word, so God, So humans punish. It comes from the root yeah. punitive to exact vengeance upon. And human law does that. Right? You, this is what human justice, all your crime shows that, that you will hear over and over again the detective saying, help us get justice for your deceased loved one. Yeah. And what, what does justice mean? Catch and punish the, the person who did it. Punish, inflict punishment, pain, suffering upon, Okay. Uh, that's all punitive, exact vengeance, okay? The Bible says the Lord disciplines those he loves. Discipline comes from the root word disciple, it means to teach. A parent whose child is having some behavior problems will discipline. From the child's perspective, they might feel like they're being punished, but the parent is actually not seeking vengeance upon not putting some level of pain and suffering just so the parent can feel that their rules were validated. No, the whole goal of parental discipline is to teach the child in some way to help the child mature and not go down self-destructive pathways in life. That's loving discipline. My experience with the COVID situation is that those who took the vaccine were subject to more coercion than those who opted out of the vaccine. Those who took the vaccine were subject to, I think, meaning that they were coerced into taking it in the first place, or after they took the vaccine, they were more coerced. I'm not sure exactly what the person's getting at. Um, those against the vaccine have attacked hospital and hospital workers, prevented patients from entering hospitals, attacked healthcare workers. Uh, how do you respond to this kind of behavior? I did not hear it addressed. on camera. I have never seen this. I can't believe this. I, I, I'm going to tell you, if this has happened, it's on a microscopic level. If this was actually happening significantly where people who were supporting of the vaccine were having um, uh, you know, hospitals being attacked across the country, the way the landscape of our media works, you couldn't get away from the stories about people uh, trying to stop the COVID vaccine going on. So I, I, first off, I question, I would have to, if you were here, I would say, show me the data. Validate this with actual hard evidence. I think that somebody, is, somebody has propagandized you. And if it's happened, there might be, yes, there's always outliers. There's going to be some individual somewhere who's probably done something like this. But if you actually look at what happened to our society, our society was not manipulated by powerful governmental and, um, and corporate forces to coerce people away from the COVID vaccine. That did not happen. In fact... Um, like um, <clears throat> like restaurants or something in a sarcastic response to it say, oh, if you haven't been vaccinated, come on in. Okay. So it's just more of a... In fact, as the Twitter releases come out more and more, we find that, in fact, uh, the forces that be silenced all those, not who were seeking to stop people from getting it, simply people who are asking legitimate scientific questions, doctors and professors and researchers who were calling the, into question some of the things that were being alleged by the pro were shut down, silenced over. So I'm going to tell you, this cold question... Sounds like it's it's coming out of propaganda. But if if you ask on a hypothetical, do we would we support people who use coercive measures to obstruct others from seeking a medical treatment that they wanted? No, we would not support that. I I haven't spoken against it because it's truly not existent in the world on this issue. It just didn't happen. Uh, Again, didn't happen on a societal level that millions of people were involved in. Maybe one person here, one person there, uh, but that's not significant. It says, I was listening to one of your old podcasts where you said if Adam and Eve didn't sin, we wouldn't have existed. But I'm wondering, wouldn't there be a version of us still? Do you all understand the question? Do you all understand what they're probably referring to what I said? Okay, first off, let's be very clear. Human species would have existed without Adam and Eve's sin. And Adam and Eve were told to be fruitful and multiply and have children in a world that's in. So the human earth would have been populated with with many human beings if Adam and Eve didn't sin. My point is that the way God constructed us is that we create children in our image. And our life experiences in this plan of sin change our genetics both with mutations and epigenetic alterations. And the unique individuals that we are came about by our individual unique parents joining themselves together in the process of procreating children. And if you look through human history... Um, probably most of us, if you dr- if you traced it back somewhere along the many, 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 many generations, we could probably find situations where not every person conceived in our family tree was conceived voluntarily, because there's lots of human abuse that's occurred through history. Uh, look at the story of of, uh, of Tamar and uh, and so forth in in uh, Scripture, and Dinah, if you remember the the uh, uh, sister of uh, the the uh, twelve founders of the twelve tribes there. My point, none of those types of wars and, 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 and pillage and all that kind of stuff that resulted in so many of us uniquely family trees forming and, and coming down through history would have occurred in a world of sin. And none of us would have had flawed genetics uh, that we all have in a world of sin. So, pardon? Pardon? Without sin. Yeah, in a world without sin. Thank you. In a world without sin. So that's what I mean. Our unique individual selves. So, so if you think about the struggles we have, the way we are, uh, I don't think we would have been born the way we are had Adam and Eve not sinned. It's just, but so I don't know that I personally would be here. Other other sinless human beings would be here, but I can tell you, I'm not Adam. I'm not Eve. And other sinless human beings is not me. And in fact, uh, if you really understand what I'm talking about, your unique individuality, if anybody knows or has a, what are called identical twins, do they grow up to be identical people? No. 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 So even if somebody had my same genetics but were raised in a different home with different experiences, they wouldn't be me. Even if, this is why, you, uh, if somebody cloned me, it wouldn't be me. You can't clone an individuality, you can clone a biology. But it's uh, you know, cloning somebody and have them raised, let's say, in, in Germany or, or France or Russia in one, one of those cultures and families. That, they wouldn't speak English. They wouldn't have my background. They wouldn't be me. So I, I, I'm going to stand by that. <laughs> I, would, I would not exist in any other reality except this one. That's correct. I would never exist. I agree so with what that. the supposition that's right. is. That's right. It's, it's this unique reality that gives us our unique identity. Uh, Any thoughts on the impact on the minds and effects of the law of exertion on the effect of communicating using memes or abbreviations or emoji? It's just a law of exertions at play. Anything you exercise, you you strengthen. And so if you think about communication, if you learn to communicate with shorthand emojis and what are these other things, Um, memes and abbreviations, uh, and that's how you learn to communicate. You will not be as effective in communicating in other ways. This will be your mean. It will be just like any other language you speak. If you learn to speak in German, you won't be as effective in speaking in English. Okay? And so we've already seen this. Many, uh, I don't even want to say kids, I don't even, you, you, guys, you guys can look down the generational line, but at some point, many people, probably in their 20s, maybe the 30s even, can't write cursive anymore. Can't read cursive anymore. Do you all know that? There, It doesn't make them smarter or dumber. It means, and, and I can't read computer language. I can't. I can use a computer, but I can't read the language. There are kids that learn computer language. And they can read it and write it. So these emojis, it's just a form of, of communication language, and if they use that, they will start speaking that, and it can lead to miscommunication, but that's just how our brains are designed. When did I come to the conclusion that God's law doesn't operate like human law? Let's see, that was November 17. (laughs) Um, It was a process, honestly. I discovered um, in in studying various laws, uh, I think one of the earliest ones I discovered was the law of, is either worship or liberty came first. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was liberty that came first because I understood by beholding we became changed early on, modeling. But they were about the same time. I discovered the law of liberty and the law the law of liberty in my patients in and rela- in dealing with patients who were in abusive environments and being controlled and manipulated and how their individuality is suppressed. Love was, was damaged and rebellion was incited. I, I discovered that one early and I discovered the law of worship early. And then um, eventually um, I, I landed on the, the principles of love and beneficence as I've described in many places. And, and then at, after those three, then I was really struggling with this question, you know, why, why do so many people insist that God has to use power to punish people? Why do so many people insist on this? Yeah. And, and in, uh, as I was weighing that question, I was also um, navigating the uh, divide between um, the penal legal theology of atonement and uh, moral influence theory of atonement, which is that Jesus died simply to reveal truth, to win us, to trust, and influence us morally. And there was no, nothing more than that. And the penal legal people said, no, yes, he had to do that, of course, but he also had to pay the penalty, the, the legal penalty had to be paid. And I was trying to navigate those things. And, and, and it really um, just came to me in, in somewhere in the process of studying and researching and praying and looking that, in fact, that the big divide isn't for God's law. If you understand God's law is human, then you require, and you think the objective is a legal objective. It was never illegal. There is an objective. He had to win us to love and trust, but he also had to provide a remedy that actually heals the condition. And, and that's different than just revelation of truth. And that's what he accomplished by destroying death, uh, bringing life and mortality, to life, destroying sin and Satan, and destroying the devil's work. These were objective accomplishments that he uh, uh, achieved in his person. And so that's how I came to it. I don't know when that was, but it was probably. I'm going to guess 2008, 2007, 2006, somewhere in there. It says, uh, hi, Tim, very powerful study today. I was hoping with the new building that class time could be extended as needed. Well, we did. We went at least eight minutes over today, and I saw, and I saw various faces contorting with stomach-growling pain, and so I was showing mercy and grace. <laughs> Yeah. So I was hoping that uh, new building class could be extended as needed. Uh, I don't know where this patient's ready from, but I'm going to guess they're ready from California. It's only nine a.m. there; when it's lunchtime for us. No, it's a guess. I don't know where they're ready from. Please, uh, please, can you extend class time to finish the lessons and your notes? These studies are so valuable, and I review them during the week to take more notes and pass them on to others. Uh, yeah, I- I'm I'm happy to continue. I'm trying to trying to be. You know, courteous and and so I'm happy to go longer, but um, I guess I guess that should be asked of my of, of the people here in the room. Uh, do you uh, see next question? Do you see end time significance to John, to the John 10 just before Passover week um, and the events of John 11 uh, 164 B.C. Judas Maccabee revolt resulting in a secular sanction? I'd have to look at that. I'm not familiar with that. Uh, the details of that to to know. Did anything happen to your knowledge before August 26, 2020, justifying emanating two-plus decades of screening blood supply for prion disease? I'm not aware of that either, the Jakob krefeld 's disease. Um, I know what the prion disease is. Um, I'm not f- familiar with the data of the screening um, of uh, the blood for that. Uh, uh, do, do you, have you heard anything about um, two decades of screening for Jakob Krepfeld disease and blood banks and so forth? And then they stopped it? Um, the, this date, is that what they're suggesting? Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what they, what they mean by that. So, All right, uh, let's close with prayer, and then we will uh, break and have our potluck. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you again for the truth that you revealed to us and for giving, for giving us the privilege of inquiring and asking questions and for winning us with truth and love and leaving us free. We respect you so much. We admire you so much. We stand in all of you and we ask that you will help us to be faithful representatives to you. Settle us and seal us uh, that we can be as faithful to you as you are to us. We pray in your holy name. Amen.